We are up to episode 83. Do you battle with food cravings, binge eating, maybe even have experienced an eating disorder and nothing before has ever really been able to curb these problems for you? If any of those challenges resonate with you or feel familiar, then this is the episode for you as we have the world's leading expert on tapping, a revolutionary therapy that is taking the food psychology and weight loss space by storm and competing very convincingly with the current gold standard treatments out there that you may have tried to work with before. We deep dive on the scientific research, clinical trials and physical application and well, this really is a great episode. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome to today's interview episode of the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. It's my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy life that they truly want by December 2020. Now, before we dive into today's interview on tapping, I just want to shout out to a few countries from faraway lands that have been looking after us over here during isolation. We've got Belgium, Philippines and Finland. Thank you so much for loving the podcast, checking out all the episodes and sharing it around with family and friends. This show has fortunately popped up in the charts in those three countries over the last few weeks. So I'm super wrapped. So a big thank you out to uh, Belgium, Philippines and Finland. And if you want to connect online, uh, jump on Instagram, share the story, tag me because I love to actually connect with the listeners of the show. So whichever platform you are on, just tag the show and tag myself and I'll reach out and say, hey. And if you want a more interactive experience as well, you've probably heard this before on the show, but feel free to jump into my free Facebook group, Health Hacks for Humans. The links will be in the show notes. Okay. To today's guest, a celebrity in the world of psychology. Today, we have Dr. Peter Stapleton, whom is a registered clinical and health psychologist and associate professor at Bond University in Queensland, Australia. She embraces evidence-based practice and is passionate about new and innovative techniques, techniques to support behavior change. Peter is a world-leading researcher in the emotional freedom technique, which you may know as EFT or tapping which is what we're going to talk about today. Peter has impressively led a world-first study investigating the impact of EFT in the brain through an fMRI study. She's been awarded the Harvey Baker Research Award for Meticulous Research in Energy Psychology by the Association of Comprehensive Energy Psychology and also the greatest contribution to the field of energy psychology. As well, Peter has been awarded the Global Weight Management Congress Industry Professional Award of Excellence and in 2019, Peter was named Psychologist of the Year by the Australian Allied Health Awards. She's also authored The Science Behind Tapping, a proven stress management technique for the mind and body, which won Best Self-Help Book in 2019 by the Best uh, Best Book Awards sponsored by American Bookfest. That list is absolutely huge. And oh, and by the way, Peter's been in a TED Talk as well. So <laughs> the list is absolutely, absolutely endless. So I just want to extend, Peter, I'm wrapped to have you here and extend a big warm welcome. How are you doing? I'm great, Maddie. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Love love chatting anything tapping, which we are going to do now. We definitely are. First up, though, how have you been through the isolation period? How have you been through that, that phase? 
Look, I I laughingly say to people, because I teach and I lecture and I do talks and all those kind of things, people think I'm an extrovert, but I try to convince people I'm truly an introvert. Like I think introverts do, you know, (laughs) research and write books and things like that. So isolation for for an introvert was fantastic. (laughs) I mean... I've got two teenage kids that were doing um, high school at home and things like that and a husband that was working here as well. But, no, it, it was all right. I was okay, actually. I'm reluctant to go back to work. <laughs> I received a meme from a friend that said, introverts, check on your extrovert friends. They've never done this. <laughs> That's exactly right. We were well prepared. <laughs> 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 So let's get into tapping. So for many of the listeners, this will be the first time hearing about it. So maybe we'll just start with what is tapping? Yeah, look, look, it looks weirder than probably what it sounds like, but it's been around <laughs> for about 25 years. It is a stress reduction technique. So it's used in therapy, but it's just to reduce stress. And basically what it is, is stimulating pressure points, acupressure points, Uh, on the face and top half of the body with a simple tapping technique. So instead of using an acupuncture needle, so listeners might be familiar with acupuncture, we don't use a needle, we just tap on a pressure point that, you know, happens to be on the face or the body. And at the same time, we focus on whatever it is that we're trying to shift or an uncomfortable feeling or something like that that we might be trying to change. So that's as simple as what it is. We know lots and lots now about how it works in the brain. But what it does after you tap on these pressure points is it relieves stress. So it has far-reaching effects across heaps and heaps of different things. Yeah, right. And so you obviously apply it to the field of weight loss and food and eating disorders and things like that? Yeah. So my clinical area when I first came out of university was eating disorders, so traditional anorexia, bulimia. When it came kind of time in my academic job, and this was probably about 16 years ago now, to do research, I said to my boss at the time, so can I do it on anything? Because we had all trained in this tapping thing and it was even weirder back then, 16 years ago. (laughs) And he said, oh, you can do whatever you like, but I don't think people will turn up to your trial. And so we decided rather than eating disorders, we would address maybe food cravings in people that were overweight or obese because the obesity crisis in Australia was kind of, you know, gathering steam and lots of things were being tried. And, look, we didn't know. We just sort of thought, look, we understand a little bit about weight and mood and emotional eating. Let's see how it goes. It blew our minds like that first trial. We had 4,500 people respond to that first clinical trial. Obviously, we couldn't put them all through it. But we were stunned that people saw me tapping on my face on a current affair (laughs) program advertising the trial, and they were willing to come and do this with me. We were actually a little bit speechless. My boss, of course, was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) But it actually worked. So we've kept going ever since then and we've done lots and lots of trials uh, since that original one. That's amazing. And when you say um, like the amount of years ago that it started, is was it, you know, was it developed in the last 100 years or does it pull on ancient Chinese sort of medicine kind of principles like with the meridians and stuff like that and it just got, it, it just kind of evolved and got a new name, you know, in the last century. But does it pull on that kind of background? Yeah, look, the foundations are definitely in that Eastern kind of approach with acupuncture meridians in the body and things like that. It was about the 70s that kind of a blend of kinesiologists that were looking at, um, again, energy psychology, but then out of that, someone, the, the original person that sort of was first tapping stumbled across it 
by accident, if you like. He had a client who had a water phobia and she would have to walk past a pool in his front yard to his home office every time she came in for therapy. And they just weren't getting anywhere. And so he'd done a bit of kinesiology and, you know, they tried lots of things and she just still was, like, she was so petrified of water it was hard for her to have a bath or a shower. Right. Anyway, he'd been reading about Chinese acupuncture because she always described that in her stomach she felt like she wanted to be sick, like nauseous. Yeah, well. So he came in, she came in this day months down the track and he said, look, I don't know if there's anything in this, but I seem to have recognised there's this pressure point that if we tap on that, it's linked to that stomach feeling. Yeah. Anyway, he said, let's just do it, see what happens. So they tap on this pressure point and within about five or ten minutes she just says, the feeling's all gone away and she ran outside to his pool and splashed water all over her face and he was sort of a bit like, what have I done? <laughs> but that was sort of the origin, I guess, of, you know, we knew Chinese acupuncture and all the background there and there's been, you know, hundreds and hundreds of studies done on that. But then what evolved and what is now EFT kind of has been about the last 30 or 40 years and the research in about the last sort of 15 to 20. So it has lots of, um, you know, foundations in lots of those Eastern philosophies. We just understand a little bit more now about not just meridians and energy, but what it actually does to the brain, which is exciting. It's exciting to see an fMRI scan or an EEG brainwave, you know, shift and kind of see that in action with tapping. I often think as a biologist, I often think that the words that some people use to describe, you know, different experiences, whether it be energy or feelings, like I, the biologist in me is always like, there's a real biological mechanism happening. We just haven't identified it yet. Yeah, and we were exactly the same. Like I, I would even kind of cringe saying the words meridian or energy because all my colleagues would just glaze over as soon as I because that just didn't make any sense. So when we go over there, hippie, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm like the least hippie person ever. So my (laughs) reputation was at stake. I'm like, we've got to find out what is happening with this technique, but. We have kind of, we have come a long way and, and we do really know the mechanism of change, you know, when we do do something to calm the amygdala down, this just happens to be a somatic one where we're tapping on pressure points. It actually does have a profound impact on, you know, that stress centre in the brain and cortisol. Like we just did a cortisol replication study 12 months ago where one hour of tapping, 43% reduction of cortisol, like wow. just massive shifts in the body that are happening. So I feel much better when I get up now at a conference or I'm giving a talk <laughs> and I'm like, right, here's actually what it is and here's what it does in the brain and the body. And when you say 43% reduction in cortisol, how does that number compare to other techniques that people use, whether it be breath work, whether it be, you know, I guess some CBT, that type of thing? Like how does the 43% compare to those? Yeah, really good question. And the answer to that basically is not a lot of other therapy approaches actually measure anything biological or a biomarker, which, you know, as an associate professor that teaches standard mainstream, particularly CBT at master's level, which that's what I do for my job. So I know that inside out. They, those therapies have not been subjected to any level of, um, you know, kind of changes in the body or biomarkers. They really just go on the fact that they've had so many randomized clinical trials run that show good outcomes or effect sizes that they haven't gone that route whereas EFT really early on a bit like meditation because meditation has early on really started to do a lot of biological research which I quite liked because 
it, it, it's weird enough to sort of show someone tapping on your face for them to kind of go, <laughs> you know, how does this make me feel better? But then also to sort of say, actually, we've got DNA studies that show, you know, tapping, you know, one hour or, you know, up to 10 weeks where the tapping changes regulation or expression of DNA. So, you know, that's then in line with kind of psychological symptoms and things like that. But these other therapy fields just haven't done that level of research. So what we did um, in our replication trial was a study had been run about eight years ago that showed one hour of individual tapping had about a 24% reduction in cortisol and they did compare to like a CBT approach and then just resting, reading magazines, and both of them only had 14% reduction. So that's sort of that comparison. We decided for cost effectiveness and EFT works really well in a group that we would do group application when we replicated that trial. So by having a group supportive situation, we got a 43% reduction because everyone was tapping sort of together on stress, you know, whatever was happening for them. And our CBT group was a 19% reduction, but our resting relaxation group increased by 2%. They got worse by sitting around reading a magazine because they weren't allowed to do anything and they had to have their phones turned off. So obviously it increased their (laughs) distress levels. Get get back to that dopamine addiction. (laughs) Oh, I know, I know. So that was probably the hardest thing for them. But we showed that group application, which we do in all our clinical trials, actually has a really profound effect with tapping, that you're not just sitting there on your own kind of thing. Yeah. But meditation, like we do actually, we we do at Bond a lot of analysis for um, some meditation leaders in the world just as part of our work. And meditation has that kind of effect, but it takes a lot longer for people to get into and some people just don't like meditation because of maybe the time it takes or just the length of kind of time it might take to get into a really relaxed state, whereas EFT you can do on the run, you can do walking around the house, and it may only take five or ten minutes. So I'm I'm kind of into anything that will change behaviour at a deep unconscious level. I don't care what it is as long as it works. But to know that there's lots of options available that are evidence-based, I think just gives people a wider choice when they go out there looking for something and the fact that the, the research has got an actual metric like it's really mm. really hard to measure i feel better like how do you put that mm. on a spectrum it's so yeah. that experience is so individual yeah. that it's really hard to put on a graph yeah that's right and i think you know we're doing um eeg studies at the moment where people are wearing a soft wearable eeg uh headband yeah. and they're able to watch themselves tap and see the brain waves in the app that goes with these um sensory devices so they actually can then also through biofeedback associate, I feel calm up, but there's what my brainwaves actually say as well, which I think yeah. that stuff is so powerful to show someone in a therapy setting or whatever, not just I feel better, like what you said, like fill out my form of how do you feel now an hour later. It's kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> but to see the difference I think um, is profound or to show someone their MRI scan, you know, after four weeks of tapping on food and then nothing happens when they look at high calorie foods four weeks later in their brain. It's quite profound. And I suppose, um, and you can obviously talk to this, but in those other types of research with the sort of, that the, the lack those sort of measurable metrics, there's probably a bit of healthy user bias as well in those as well, because they're being a part of a study and it's like, I've got to do good. And <laughs> Yeah, social desirability, you know, people often, yep. particularly with weight loss, you know, if we advertise a free weight loss program out there, um, they will come to want to try anything. Australians 
do tend to be particularly open as well if they've tried heaps of other things. So they do have an, a vested interest. Obviously, we try and control that by having randomised allocations so they do realise you may not get the tapping group, you might get a different, you know, therapy approach or you might actually get a placebo or a control you know group or something like that so we try and control for that kind of thing but you're right clinical trials whilst you know we all want to read them and kind of go where's the evidence they really are so tightly kind of run and with such tight inclusion exclusion criteria that it almost can sometimes feel a bit artificial that it's like well it works for this really kind of tight sample but is that the average person out there? So we do our best, <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, I'd absolutely urge people, like, to give it a go. It's really when you have never had a go or sort of applied tapping to something and then you do experience it and see the shift yourself, it kind of gives you a very different lived experience than just reading a research paper or listening to the neighbour or someone like that. So, yeah, so hopefully out of tonight we might even, you know, spark some interest for people to go off and investigate further. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Oh, absolutely. That's why the podcast is here, to introduce people to new ideas and concepts to, to make themselves healthier. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask as well, it, sort of following on from that last comment about, you know, we, we try to do the best we can and these tight and um, clinical trials, and I work with clinical trials as well, you know, they're so tightly regulated. In the context of the, those results that you were talking about before in a group setting, how does that then translate into, yeah, walking around home, catching yourself in the middle of eating a chocolate cake, you know, in the moment when you're by yourself and, and you're potentially already in that cycle? Yeah. So how does it apply out of that group setting that you sort of looked at? Yeah, so we try and encourage people, like once we've taught them, whether or not it's a client in a private session or they're part of a group and they're learning that in a trial or whatever, that they do start to just get in a habit, if you like, because we know habits, you know, are king, that they just get in a habit. So even if they catch themselves at home mid-bite of the chocolate cake and then go, oh, I forgot to do tapping on the craving or whatever it might be, they can still do it at that point. So they still learn how to use it in their own home life. And we try to kind of even say to them, look, even if you just tapped every single day with the same activity, and I always say when you brush your teeth, because I'm guessing everyone brushes their teeth in the morning, (laughs) that that habit 
Totally. That habit of five minutes every morning has a real ripple effect and a compounding effect over time because they might kind of go, oh, actually, I didn't realise I didn't sleep well last night and that's sort of something that just presented itself or actually I wasn't looking forward to something today at work and I'm just going to sort of shake that off through a bit of tapping or whatever. So we try to sort of do that. It's really interesting. We do track because we do up to 12 months, if not two-year follow-up on our people from our trials. So we've done the longest follow-ups in the world. But we always ask them at the end of a standard eight-week program that they might have gone through, have you continued tapping? You know, yes, no, what did you tap on, that kind of thing. And I can tell you, hand on my heart, that 80 to 90% of them never tap ever again after they finish the eight-week program. So it's like they come in get the outcome that they're coming for and that could be to lose weight or get rid of food cravings or we're doing chronic pain trials at the moment, could be whatever. And then once they've got the outcome, they actually stop doing the process, they stop doing the technique. But what it shows us is the dedicated time you do do the tapping to get that shift actually lasts over time. So it does result in some neurological shift where you don't have to keep going back to the tapping because the food craving never comes back for them. The chronic pain maybe never resurfaces. And so two years down the track, they look at you like you're a kind of weirdo and kind of go, what are you talking about, chocolate cake? I haven't eaten that for years. But they kind of have just moved past it. They've forgotten in inverted commas because it's not part of their kind of hard wiring anymore, which we weren't expecting that. We kind of thought, oh, if they, you know, dropped off the tapping, they might also drop off the bandwagon and six, 12 months later we might see some of that stuff creeping back, which we have in our comparison treatments. So we do compare to gold standards and those things, food cravings in those conditions come back at 12 months, the willpower issue and all that. But the tapping people just keep surprising us. They don't keep tapping and their issues don't come back. So I'm like, I don't know what else can we can do um, out there to get such profound behaviour shifts that don't require any willpower. I think it's just because I'm impatient, Maddie, and I'm just like, just give me something that works and I never want to think about it ever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it sounds amazing. I'm really curious from a neurological perspective. Like those are like, what you know, CBD, ED, um, sorry, C- CBT, um, EDMR, um, like those types of therapies. That we often fall back into them because the neurological, you know, pathways and signals are already so strong, right? Yeah. So why or how is the tapping able to bypass that, you know, super strong habit that we've developed potentially over decades? What what makes it us not susceptible to slipping in with tapping? Is it because the physical tapping is just stimulating so many more neurons than just self talk? Yeah, I would say like from the mechanistic studies that we've looked at and then things like our MRI scans and stuff like that, what we're in follow-up studies, what we seem to be, and we've done meta-analysis now to look at the effect size of the comparison study. So there's been plenty of studies that have pulled apart the tapping process yeah. and then kind of jam tapping and things like that. And ultimately, all of it shows that The actual tapping on a pressure point is the active ingredient. So even if you didn't say any words but you were in the feeling state of whatever it was you're trying to shift, say distress or whatever, as long as you are in touch with it, the tapping on a pressure point is absolutely what seems to be having that impact back at the amygdala and hippocampus level. And then once 
and particularly if someone kind of is transported back to a memory from childhood and is able to use tapping to process something there, that seems to be what gives that long-lasting effect in the brain because it's almost like, you know, Hebian's principle that the hard wiring around that old response gets loosened and perhaps transformed and they make new meaning or they get to view it a different way, but not through hard work like talk therapy where they're just trying to think more positively. They've able to process that through the tapping and that is then what allows that shift neurologically to happen so that perhaps a different area of the brain rewires that becomes the dominant part and we just sort of talk about that highway grows over with grass and it's not there anymore kind of thing in the brain. So EMDR, the eye movement one that you mentioned, is incredibly similar. It it obviously looks different but it has incredibly similar uh, outcomes to EFT and there have been comparison studies of tapping to EMDR and the outcomes are the same. So the mechanisms in both those approaches are almost identical. They're just two different ways to get to the same outcome. And that's what we say to people. It's like, look, if you prefer that and you've got to go to someone who's trained in EMDR, fantastic. What I like about tapping is I can teach a four-year-old how to do tapping and I can do it myself. I don't have to go and see like a qualified practitioner if I know what I'm doing and I can actually just itself self kind of you know directed so and little kids can do it whereas emdr is a little bit different yeah so yeah so it's it seems to be like i predict i put this big statement out in my book that i think there's a fourth wave coming through in the therapy space Mm -hmm. and it's the body-based stuff emdrs like that tappings like that some other sort of somatic processing and anything that kind of shifts things physically for people seems to have a much better effect than what we've had you know, in our therapy space for the last sort of 20 or 30 years. Well, I guess a lot of the time the mind and the body are really looked at as two separate, you know, entities that happen to be connected. So it makes a lot of sense to me that, uh, yeah, the stuff that needs to be shifted mentally needs to have a physical component. Yeah, and most people will be in touch with the physical well before they're aware of what thought went, went through their head. Like I'm married to an engineer and, you know, he knows I say this, but, you know, he, he did ask me once, he's like, what do you mean, what thought? I didn't have a thought. I'm like, everyone has thoughts. But <laughs> it's hard to pick those up. So it is hard to even, like I say to my students that I teach, and they're in their master's, so they're like at the end of a psychology degree. And I'm like, do you ever feel stressed? And they're like, all the time. And I'm like, Why? You're supposed to know about your thoughts and they just look at me and I'm like, see, it's hard even if you're educated, but it's easy to go, I don't feel real good in my solar plexus or actually my stomach's churning and if I just focus on that and do some tapping, Mm -hmm. it'll shift, even if you don't know where it came from. So, yeah, I think, you know, coming back to the, and I absolutely agree with you, I don't think at the medical field level, it's it's inclusive yet like the mind and body stuff it's still like psychologists look after the mind and the doctors look after the body and that's so old as a a kind of approach here that yeah the body is what lets you know what's going on half the time so we just come in at a different angle to some of the other approaches that's one of the reasons i really like uh things like ayurveda and um chinese medicine because they come at a very from a very holistic you know viewpoint of spiritual the spiritualism the sort of whether it be a religion for some people and how that interplays with the physical componentry of the body whereas at the hospital you know i'm friends with a couple of the doctors in the spiritual care team and they're just laughed at like they're yeah. medical doctors but you know they it, that is just, it's just seen as, as so ridiculous that that you know kind of woo woo would have anything to do with physical health 
Absolutely. And I think, you know, we have got, obviously, I've got lots of our graduates that now teach in our medicine program at Bond University. So they're coming through with different kind of understandings. They've been through my subjects. Like I teach health psychology where it's all about the body and the language. So they're now obviously teaching and got their PhDs. But I think we're going to have this translational gap time before the graduates that come out in these next, maybe not the next generation, but the one after that, that have much more of that patient-centred approach and not, you know, doctor knows best, do what you're told kind of thing, but also that much more holistic. It's kind of like, all right, you've got chronic pain, doesn't appear to be anything physically wrong with you at the body level, so what's going on kind of at, at a different kind of emotional level? So that kind of understanding I think is there. And it's funny, you know, you look at the stats and 70% of Australians use complementary medicine Interesting. and maybe don't even tell their doctors, but that's the statistic. But they're out there. They're, it's everything from you know maybe using different herbs and things like that or flower essence right through to reiki to acupuncture to massage to yoga to whatever but 70 percent of aussies use complementary medicine alongside all their medical pharmacological sort of stuff so you're like they're open they're looking they're looking for ways i love that stat i didn't know it but that makes me very happy um like uh, yeah absolutely i'm big 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 fan I, you know i'm a nutritional therapist myself and very very much a big advocate for you know diet against disease and those types of things but the the way that we look at the world and the way that we experience ourselves is is virtually the most important variable and you're probably very aware of the work of um bruce lipton like the biology of belief yeah. Uh, like yeah, yeah i love that stuff it's so very important important i love bruce and i have met bruce in person and we're the same height so i'm not real tall myself right. well i love standing next to bruce because he's just the same height <laughs> genius um i wanted to ask you as well uh, so i was obviously learning a little bit about you today and i heard your ted talk and what piqued my interest was that when you do the tapping you actually recite the the problem um mm. and i was just curious how it doesn't reinforce the problem into this new pattern of feeling or muscular memory throughout the body. I'm really curious as to how that sort of works. And it is almost counterintuitive if anyone kind of goes off and Googles tapping or, you know, looks at my videos or whatever. It's kind of like why? And I look, I have a teenage 17-year-old in my house who has done tapping her whole life. Yeah. And even, again, even every now and again she'll go, why am I saying my problem? Like you say, you say your problem. So in that regard it's quite mindful. So it's not too much of an extension from being sort of mindful and in that present moment. But it's counterintuitive because when we've got this whole self-help field out there and even positive psychology, which I love Martin Seligman's work in that field, what tapping does is it actually acknowledges what is going on for people as what we say is their truth. So if someone feels stressed, now look, if you just walked around the house saying, I feel stressed, I feel stressed, I feel stressed, and don't do anything else except say it, you will reinforce it. That's just neurological hardwiring. But it appears to be the act of tapping on a pressure point that might be, you know, on the face or top half of the body while you stay focused on the feeling or the thought or belief or whatever it might be. And so you're not trying to trick yourself and you're not trying to put a Band-Aid over it by rephrasing it before it's ready, that that's what engages the part of the brain. And sometimes for the very first time, people have tried to ignore their pain or get away from their stress. And then the moment you ask them to say it out loud, they absolutely fall to pieces and start crying because they've been trying to avoid it. And, And EFT tapping is very 
mindful and you actually can't avoid or it doesn't work. So then the, the tapping on the pressure point, as you say, it appears to calm that part of the brain. So it doesn't have a reinforcing effect. So it doesn't actually make it implanted in, in your, like it even works to the point that if I'm tapping with someone and say food cravings, because that's been our big area, we have the food in front of us. So they'll have the chocolate cake, they'll have the, you know, savory biscuits, bag of chips, or even alcohol, whatever it might be. And that we use it for exposure therapy. Now, if I have any desire for that food, as I tap with them, my desire leaves as well. So you kind of get this double whammy. And yeah. I have got a few foods, including champagne, where I will never tap with you ever because I don't wish to lose my desire <laughs> for those. <laughs> or cheesecake, New York cheesecake or something. But I'm like, all oh, the others, okay. So you actually, you get the effect as a therapist, which doesn't happen to a lot of other therapies. But, yeah, so it's very mindful. It's counterintuitive to what you used to out there, but it's very, it's almost a relief sometimes for people to say, I've actually never admitted that I feel angry about that or I've never admitted. And that in itself is quite freeing for a lot of people. But then we say, you must do the tapping part. Don't just walk around the house saying, I feel angry, I feel angry, because you'll still feel angry. Like, yeah. And the dismantling studies have shown that, that if you just say the words, nothing really changes. You stay the same. What an incentive for therapists that uh, they get the benefit as well. (laughs) Well, you know, it's suddenly, you know, if if you did a standard therapy day where you might see six or seven clients, which normally would be quite taxing because mm. they're hour-long sessions and you feel even, you know, experienced, you'd feel quite wiped out at the end of that day. If you are tapping with most of your clients, it's actually really kind of light, light work because you're tapping with them the whole time. So you can, by the end of that day, feel quite good and you're not really walking away maybe with transference taking on any of you know, your client's concerns or worrying about them because you've tapped at the same time. So if anything, we get free therapy. It's fantastic. So the biohacker in me is creeping into my brain and wondering, can you optimize this for people that don't necessarily have, um, you know, uh, challenging or uncomfortable relationships with food, but can you, can you like hardwire yourself to be like, right, it's just chicken and broccoli or, you know, whatever it is, but so that you can, you can just condition yourself to just eat the perfect diet. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so, well my, thought, yeah. my thought is the why not is, is that the other things aren't a negative enough experience for you to tap on. Is that a thing? Yeah, so we we say to people, just give us an intensity rating out of 10. So obviously most people in our trial are like, 10 out of 10, I want to inhale that chocolate cake. (laughs) But you're sort of talking about someone that might go, oh, look, it's only a 5 out of 10. It's not a real big deal. Mm. Like I can take it or leave it. I actually can walk away. What some people choose to do, though, is still maybe get rid of any desire for something because if you don't actually feel like eating it, you don't miss it. So we do promise that to people. When you're on this side of the fence, people go, oh, what if I miss it? And it's like you don't miss things. You don't have any desire to eat. But the other thing you can do with tapping, which we do in all our trials, is we enhance the desire for the healthy food options through tapping. Right. So it could be 
you don't drink enough water or you actually want to, you like salad, but you just don't maybe eat it enough during the week for whatever reason. So we tap on those so that that becomes a really natural response. I've actually got a video of Glenn doing something similar back through our program that we did with our weight management kind of um, program where we were tapping on those kind of issues as well. And I've got a big bowl of salad and things like that. So you can do it both ways. So you can end up what you're saying um, where perhaps it is the perfect diet but you love it and it's enticing and you don't think of anything else except wanting to actually eat that food. Yeah, I was just thinking like, you know, human optimization, athlete kind of thoughts. I was like, there's a way to hack this. <laughs> I think hacks are fantastic. If there's a way to hack it, <laughs> let's do it. Yep. And we sh- we should definitely mention Glenn as well. So just a shout out to Glenn yeah. McIntosh who connected <laughs> us both and you do a lot of work with. Yes, I do. So Glenn was part of our, um, We after we'd spent years and years testing our weight programs with tapping in person, um, obviously lots of people around the world can't come to those. So we actually converted it to an online program and tested it. And Glenn um, McIntosh of Weight Management Psychology was part of that. So we do lots of things together in that space. Yeah, wonderful. Well, I'm really wrapped that you've been able to make time to jump on the show and I'm loving this conversation. Um, But where can people find you online and maybe find the program and stuff as well? Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully you can put all these links, Maddie, there. So my website is just peterstapleton.com. So lots of free information. If you're wondering where are the pressure points, there's free diagrams on there. There's videos of me showing you how to use it, that kind of thing. So they're all on that website. You can also sort of see if you wanted to come and learn in person, uh, we do run workshops for the general public. We also run them for health professionals in counselling roles um, that are slightly different. And we do have online versions of all of that. So on the social media everywhere, you know, Peter Stapleton, you'll find me there, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, the full works. You can do that. And then our program with Glenn is Weight Management Psychology, and we've now released that online program that we tested in the clinical space many years ago that's now available for anybody. And I can absolutely tell you that all of the outcomes from our trials uh, achieve significant results. So it's not uncommon for us to have people lose, you know, 30 kilograms in a year after doing a program like that. Like that's just normal, which is fantastic if someone was interested in, you know, not having to use willpower in the weight space anymore. Have a look at those programs. Oh, it sounds amazing. And yeah, for as you said, for everybody, the links will be in the show notes below and they can get involved and follow you. And yeah, you're obviously doing so much amazing, amazing work and people can obviously get their hands on your book as well. So um, thank you so much for making time to be on the show. I've loved having you here. Thanks so much, Maddie. It's fantastic chatting and I hope maybe it just sparks a little bit of interest for someone out there listening. Oh, there's no doubt. Um, and so to wrap up, I ask the same question of everybody. What is one piece of health information you wish more people knew about? Well, if we stick with the, um, I'm a health psychologist by background as well, if we stick in the tapping space, mm-hmm. I would probably wish that maybe more parents were aware of this and could teach mm-hmm. their kids at a much earlier age of because little kids don't question tapping on magic spots on your face. They think it's fantastic. So if just one extra parent picked up that and taught it to a child, what a different world we would live in down the track where kids just knew how to regulate stress in their body that would be a perfect world for me. Sounds like an amazing world. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much, Peter. I appreciate you being here and we'll catch you on another episode soon, hopefully. Love it. Thanks so much, Maddie. No worries. See you later. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.